Well, on Wednesday, I was at a traffic light, and I noticed three sheep in the back of a pickup truck. They were on their way to the Eid al-Adha sacrifice. Obviously, they were not the guests of honor. It got me thinking about their life, though, and about the lifeblood that would slowly drain away later in that day. You know, life is significant. Whether it's someone dying to a disease or old age or even an innocent animal like those sheep that die in sacrifice. You know, death came to the world when Adam and Eve, the first humans, disobeyed the word of God. They would die, but not immediately. You see, the first death came in Genesis chapter 3 when God sacrificed an innocent animal to provide clothes for Adam and Eve. That animal's blood spilled to the ground and mankind's shame and sin was covered. In Genesis 4, the first human was murdered, revealing his character of justice, God tells Adam's son, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You see, God hates death. Whether it's the death of the righteous or even the death of the wicked. But sin has stained creation. And the wages of sin is death And so the judge of the earth must punish sin. And since we all sin, friends, that means that we all must face God's righteous judgment. But judgment is something we don't want, do we? We don't don't want judgment. We, We want mercy. In fact, many of us think we deserve mercy. That's because we judge from our own perspective. You know, we, we judge other people based on the facts. This, this, this. But we judge ourselves based on our intentions. You know, I, I meant it for well, really, even if it didn't turn out that way. Everybody wants mercy, not judgment. You know, as we look at Genesis 19 today, what, what Jamel just read to us... I have a few questions that I hope to address. Is God right to judge the wicked? Can he preserve or can he save the righteous through judgment? And third, is it possible for God to be merciful and just at the same time? Now, for those who haven't met me, my name is Pastor David. I'm one of the five elders here at EBC. And we, as a church, we've been on a series going through the life of Abraham titled Looking for a Better Country. That's what Abraham was doing, according to Hebrews 11. He was looking for a better country, a heavenly one. He's looking for a land where sin does not exist, a place where only the righteous live. Now, chapters 18 that we looked at last week and 19 actually 
could go together. Uh, several things you see there. Angels came to both of them, Abraham and to Lot, and they greeted them in very similar ways. In chapter 18, we hear God reveal the outcry against Sodom's sin and, and then his plan to bring justice. And that leads to Abraham's prayer that God would not sweep away the righteous with the wicked. Chapter 19 then confirms Sodom's sin. And while God brings judgment against the city, he remembers Abraham's prayer by rescuing Lot. Now in Genesis 18, we saw that the Lord has, uh, we saw the Lord as a friend whose presence Abraham longed to pursue with honor. Today in Genesis 19, we'll see the Lord as judge. In the midst of judging Sodom, his mercy goes out to Abraham's nephew, Lot. And the main point I want to get across to you today is that the Lord is merciful, preserving his own from the judgment of the wicked. The Lord is merciful, preserving his own from the judgment of the wicked. And we'll walk through this chapter in three parts. First, we'll look at Sodom's sin. And then we'll look at the Lord's mercy. And then finally, we'll look at these plans to preserve. So consider that first point, Sodom's sin. Lot is sitting at the gate of the city when he looks up and he sees the two angels. He runs to, to meet them. He bows with his face to the ground, much like Abraham had done. And like Abraham, he asked them to come, wash, get refreshed. Now, Abraham had urged the Lord to stay so that he might enjoy the Lord's presence. Lot, however, he's urging the angels to come into his home, but it's for their protection. You see, he, he, he must have known what the city was capable of doing. Lot fixes a meal, like Abraham had, only this is, a, this is bread without yeast. It's, kind of, it's more like that meal that the children of Israel had before the Exodus, you know, a meal that's to be taken on the run, rather than the feast that Abraham had prepared. Lot's real concern, or I should say, Lot's concern is real. Because as we read, before they had gone to bed, all the men surrounded the house. It's like an army of the city's men had gathered to attack. They're all there, young and old. These are really bad men. And, and, and Lot, I mean, if you think about Lot, he's actually moved closer and closer to these really bad men. Back in chapter 13, remember, he had surveyed the best of the land, and he chose the well-watered lands in the Jordan Valley so he could graze his many sheep there. Now he's living in a house, inside the city. 
Second Peter says Lot was a righteous man. So we have to trust that that's true. He says he was upset by the wicked deeds he saw and heard. He was a righteous man living in the midst of a very wicked people. Lot had a choice, you see. He chose this path. He chose that place. And it was having an effect on him. Friends, don't be like Lot. Don't be like Lot. Don't be foolish about sin. You cannot be close to evil and remain pure yourself. You can't. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 33 and 34 say, Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, let your best friends be those who will build you up in your faith. Now, it's, it's good to have friends who are not believers. I mean, how else are you going to share the gospel with people? You need to have them. But make sure your best friends are those who will build you up. Make sure that the majority of your time is spent with people who will bring you closer to Christ rather than dragging you away. If you're spending a lot of time with those who are wicked and sinning greatly against the Lord, like the people of Sodom, then you will increasingly be pulled towards sin yourself. All right, here are a few thoughts on the significance of Sodom's sin and, and why it was judged so quickly. First, their sin is widespread. You know, this army of men are from every part of the city. And they're, it's both the young and the old. It's, it's all of them. Secondly, their sin is especially disgusting. For one, this is unrestrained homosexual lust. Now, in verse 5, this army of men surrounding Lot's house has one agenda. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Friends, homosexual sin, homosexuality is sin. The, the, throughout the Bible, it is condemned. It is not the unforgivable sin. I want to make that clear. It is judged the same way as other sins. You find it in lists with envy, gossip, factions, being a coward, lying, and disobeying parents. All of these will be judged in a similar way. But in Sodom, in addition to sexual sin... Sodom's citizens paraded their sin in public. They, they were, 
in other parts of Scripture, we read about Sodom that they were unconcerned for the poor and needy, that they were idol worshipers, and that their words and deeds were aimed against the Lord. Now, another, another thing that shows how despicable their sin is, now, they, they call the angels men here. Where, you know, where are the men, right? But they seem to recognize that there's something unique about them, even perhaps angelic, as does Abraham and Lot. I mean, Abraham and Lot treated these visitors with special honor. And if that's true, then God's judgment of Sodom may be very closely related to his judgment of the entire world by flood back in Genesis 6 through 8. In that passage, the relations between angels and humans played a very large role in their wickedness and the judgment that then followed. Third thing. So first thing was that it was very widespread. Secondly, their sin was especially disgusting. And thirdly, these men were proud and unashamed. Lot sought to persuade them not to do this wicked thing. Don't do this wicked thing. He even made this unimaginable offer uh, to give his virgin daughters to them to do whatever they like. But they push him aside, right? And they call him out as a foreigner. They mock him as a false judge, and they threaten to do worse to him than what they would, were planning to do with the angels inside. It's no wonder that an outcry had gone up to the Lord against the city. God is right to judge the wicked. And in Sodom's case, it comes quickly. His judgment of Sodom actually stands as an example, both for Israel and for us, and in the next day, in verse 24 and 25, you see that the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah, and he destroyed all of those living in the cities. This is a total destruction. It's complete annihilation. Every living thing. Did you notice it even said, including all the vegetation? The Lord's judgment is complete. Because he is completely holy. Not one atom stained by sin will remain untouched when it comes to the Lord's judgment. Everything is utterly destroyed. Now the Lord gave the people of Sodom over to judgment so that they might be a sign, an example to Israel, to us, of the Lord's holy judgment. You, you see, uh, if you turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, it says that, that God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So friends, we must see the sign. 
see the sign. Learn from the example. There will be a day when God will judge not only the cities of sin like Sodom, but all the heavens and the earth will burn in the fire of God's judgment. 2 Peter 3, 7 says it this way. It says the same word that pre- presents heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Isaiah 66 says it this way. See, the Lord is coming with fire and his chariots are like a whirlwind. He will bring down his anger with fury and his, his rebuke with flames of fire. For with fire and with his sword, the Lord will execute judgment on all people and many will be those slain by the Lord. Judgment is real, and it is coming, and God is right to judge, to judge all sin. And so we should rightly fear the Lord's judgment. Listen to the example of Sodom and learn from it. I think it's important for us to talk about the specific sin that we're dealing with here. Some of you, maybe you too, are attracted to the same sex, like those in Sodom. Maybe, maybe not. But you're still a sexual sinner. We all are sexual sinners. God makes no distinction about what type of sexual sinner you might be. Same-sex attraction sex before marriage, sex with anyone who's not your spouse, sex with non-humans, pornography, wandering eyes, self-gratifying sexual pleasure, they're all equal in God's sight. Even sex within marriage that devalues or makes uncomfortable demands or abuses one's spouse is evil in God's sight. Friends, the only sexual relation that God sees as pure and holy is that within marriage and that honors the spouse's dignity. Now maybe someone in your past has disgraced your dignity through sexual sin. I know in a room this size, that could be many. There is healing in the wounds of Christ. His scars are deeper than your disgrace. So find healing in his wounds. Or maybe you willingly have entered into sexual sin. Again, in a room this size... It's likely many. You're not alone. And you're not without hope. King David, called a man after God's own heart, was a sexual sinner. He did the same. But God mercifully restored David when he turned in humble repentance. 
humbly repent and God will have mercy on you. Maybe you're in sexual sin right now. Right now. I want to just call you out. Don't. Don't stay there. Like we just sang, flee from sin and run to Jesus. He is ready to receive you. Just acknowledge your sin before him. Turn from it and follow him in true faith and righteousness. So whether it's sin like our brother Ashkan was was mentioning or, or sin that we're talking about right now, Jesus is ready to forgive a repentant sinner. God is right to judge sin. And He holds out hope for those who turn to Him. He is a God of mercy. And in the midst of judgment, the Lord's mercy is our only hope. That's our second point. Let's turn to that now. The Lord's mercy. In chapter 18, remember, Abram hurried to pursue the Lord's presence. But in chapter 19, in verses 10 through 23, we see a a very different pursuit. Uh, Even as judgment is coming, Lot hesitates he delays he he takes much time with the angels urging and and it seems that lot's hesitation implies that he doesn't understand what's coming you know it's almost like if you could put yourself in the angel's place i think i think any of us you you like me any of us would probably have given up on lot Okay, fine. Take your time and burn with everybody else. But but the Lord is patient. He is patient in mercy. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The angels, in fact, go to great lengths to show the Lord's mercy to Lot. I mean, you see it there in verses 10 to 11. There's mercy in the angels grabbing Lot back into the house and blinding the eyes of that army of men. There's mercy in verse 12 as they include in in this plan for salvation those who belong to Lot. There's mercy in verse 15 as dawn is approaching and the angels are pleading with Lot, hurry up, hurry up. And then... There's mercy in verse 16 as he as they grab his hands and the hands of his his daughters and his wife and lead them out of the city. And then and then in verse 17 as well, urging them to flee to the mountains, warning them not to look back. And finally, there's 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 mercy in verse 21 in granting Lot's silly request not to go to those mountains, but rather to that small town of Zor, which means little. <laughs> Incidentally, in verse 30, did you notice they, they don't even stay in Zor. They, 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 they actually do go to the mountains. Then there in, there's mercy in verses 22 and 23. As the Lord waits... For Lot to reach that little town of Zoar, 
before he begins the destruction. Mercy. Verse 29 sums up God's justice and mercy. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. The Lord remembered Abram's concern for Lot, his nephew, and, and that prayer that he prayed at the end of chapter 18. The Lord preserves Lot, bringing him out of this land of judgment. And so God is able to preserve or to save the righteous. Because the Lord is merciful, preserving his own from the judgment of the wicked. You see how far-reaching the patience of the Lord is? What do we learn from this? I think, friends, we learn not to be like Lot. Don't be like Lot. Yes, he did receive mercy, but he hesitated. He delayed. And so, in so doing, he tried the Lord's patience. Uh, you know, understand again from, from 2 Peter that, that the Lord is patient with us. Says he, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, he says, and the heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming, and the judge of the earth must be just and completely punish sin. And yet he loves mercy. And it begs that question, how can the Lord be 100% just and merciful at the same time? And the answer is Jesus. Jesus is God's way to be both completely just and merciful to those that he calls. Now, if, if you've not trusted in Christ, then I really want you to listen now. You stand under God's holy judgment and, and you are deserving his punishment already. In God's justice, his word says is that you will burn in a, an eternal fire that never dies. But in Ezekiel 33, 11, the sovereign Lord declares, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn from their ways and live. That's what God desires. You see, on the cross, Jesus took the full punishment for sin. He died as the full and final sacrifice for sin. No more Eid sheep, no more Catholic penance. His death pays it all. He died, he was buried, and on the third day he rose up again from the grave by the power of God. He defeated sin and death in his resurrection as a seal of God's promise that you can receive eternal life through him.
What does this require of you? Nothing. You need only to repent and believe in this good news. It is freely offered to you. Now, the three people that you just heard from earlier today, they are testimonies that Jesus is still saving sinners. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done, what religious background you come from. The Lord is merciful. And he will preserve you from the coming judgment if you are called by his name. Is he calling you? That's the question. Is he calling you today? Now, friends, if you have trusted in Christ, which I I trust many of you here have, Peter has a word for you, too, as as we consider the judgment of God. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destructions of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in its heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this better country like Abraham was looking for, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with God. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. So believer, remember Lot's wife. In Luke 17.33, which was read earlier, Jesus connects her looking back to those who would try to keep, keep their life, keep their life the same way. God's call is for a complete transformation. You can't have it both ways. You can't have one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of darkness. So put off that old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, and put on the new self, which is created like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what the Lord is calling you, believer, to. Follow His plan for preservation, not your own. In this next section, Lot's daughters actually present a a plan for preservation, the preservation of their father's family line. It's a lot like what Sarah had done earlier. Let's look at that uh, now, this third section, plans to preserve. In verse 31, Lot's older daughter judged the family situation you know, here, here they were, their, their father's old, his wife is dead. She had looked back and turned into that pillar of salt. They, you know, they had no men around them. They'd all been, you know, burned in, in the fire of the Lord's judgment. She comes up with this shameful and, and disgusting plan to preserve their family line 
both daughters were, would try to get pregnant by their own father. And, and you wonder, why, how did they come up with a plan like that? Well, consider the fact that they grew up in Sodom. Clearly, they had been surrounded by sexual sin. No wonder they came up with such a horrible plan. And it's a plan that Lot's not even aware of. We're not even told of his reaction when he learns of his daughter's deceit in all this. But, But what's the result? The result is both of them become pregnant by their father. The older gave birth to a son named Moab, meaning from father. And the younger, Ben-Ami, which means the son of my father's people. These these become the, the, the ancestors of the Moabites and the Ammonites. And that pe- those two people would be cursed because they don't show hospitality later on when Israel is you know, wandering in the desert. But, but, but much later than that, something very interesting would come from Moab. A woman named Ruth. And Ruth would become the great-grandmother of King David. And, and, then, and, and she would be an essential link in the line of our Savior, Jesus. You see, as, as we look back at Genesis 19 through the lens of the, the rest of the Bible, we see God's plan to preserve His promises. <laughs> And, and, and he does that in amazing ways. He preserves his promise, remembering Abraham, to whom he had said in Genesis 12, through you, all nations would be blessed. He preserves his promise in rescuing Lot, who Abraham had prayed for in, in chapter 18. He preserves his promise by destroying Sodom For those who had cried out against the city, they would find vengeance. They would be avenged in its destruction because justice prevailed. And he preserves his promise in preserving the family line of our Savior. Even through Lot's daughters. Such Power, such knowledge, such wisdom is beyond tracing out. Genesis 19 shows us that the Lord is merciful and he makes that, that line of salvation straight through a very crooked people. And I would, I would testify that the Lord is still drawing straight lines in salvation through very crooked people like you and me. Church, if he can have mercy on Lot, he can have mercy on us. If he can have mercy on you as crooked and sinful as you are, then he can have mercy on the person that's sitting next to you 
or in the rows behind you, or even across national borders. All who trust in his mercy through Jesus, he will save from the final judgment. For the Lord is merciful, preserving his own from the judgment of the wicked. Now, in our last member meeting, we received six new members, three of whom are going to be baptized today. Again, they are testimonies of the Lord's grace that we will be celebrating as we witness their baptisms in just a few minutes. I hope you will celebrate that salvation in your own life as you celebrate in theirs. And if you don't know the Lord, if you have not put your faith in Him, look to this, these baptisms. Look for the gospel in these baptisms. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, we, we thank you that you are able to be both fully just and merciful at the same time. And you do that through Christ. Lord, thank you for Jesus who took our sin and revealed your, your love in mercy as you bring us to yourself. Lord, I pray for any here that don't know that, that they would come to a true and living faith. Lord, we pray for those who are being baptized today, that you would strengthen them in that faith. We pray in Christ's name.